the king and his kingdom, the king and his kingdom. We've actually spent four weeks in the Old Testament talking about the king and his kingdom. This is a time we use those words a lot during the holiday season, right? The king, right? The king. It's in almost all holiday music, that word, the king. We spent four weeks in the Old Testament because, I'm going to let you know a little secret, it's really tough for pastors to preach special uh, holidays and services that come every year because you, you feel like you run out of material. Okay, everyone knows the story of the wise men. Everyone knows it. And I have to reach deep to do that again and again. And I remember talking to my pastor at year like 24. It's like, how do you do 24 years of Christmas ser- sermons? He's like, you got to reach deep and pray and look at it. So I thought, I'm not going to do that because I'm not that talented. I'm going to go to the Old Testament and spend four weeks in the Old Testament where people really don't know, looking at the king and his kingdom. But I promised you guys we would get to the the narrative, to the birth of Christ, and we are today. And I'm excited to do that because I sat down for my study day on Wednesday and said, Lord, I should not worry or dread or think I've heard it before any part of the Word of God. Any part. I may have looked at it a hundred times, a thousand times. This thing is alive and active. God, speak to me. Show me something about the wise men. Show me something about every time I see that. I see Charlie Brown, and I see, I see, right? You see little kids doing a drama really bad, and you see good music and bad music. But when we look at the Word of God, the Holy Spirit wants us to see something. God Himself wants to breathe on us on your first Christmas and on your last, right? No matter how many times we read it. So we're going to do that. Go to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to just read two verses. Look, I tried to actually think about, Lord, I'm going to preach a whole sermon on one verse. Okay, I'm not that good yet. But we're going to do it on two. Two verses. Now, let me set up Matthew. Matthew, the book of Matthew, is all about the kingdom. The word kingdom is used 53 times. The word kingdom of heaven is used 32 times. It was written to the Jews. It was written first. And he's all about the kingdom, showing Israel, who doesn't have a kingdom, who's ruled by an earthly power of Rome, oh, you got a kingdom. It's eternal, and it's bigger than the one you're in now. You're just looking at this Rome. You're looking at things you don't like. An eternal king is coming to you. And the eternal kingdom will be yours if you'll grab a hold of it through the blood of Jesus, through faith. Amen? That's what Matthew the tax collector, Matthew the Jew, is writing to these Jewish people who don't have a kingdom. All right, so Matthew chapter 2, 1 and 2. Very familiar couple of verses. Now, after Jesus was born... In Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. You've got notes there. There are five points from this to these two verses, and I'm excited to look at this because the Holy Spirit whispered to me this week some beautiful uh, things. So let's look at this. Verse 1, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, okay, Bethlehem, that little town a few miles from uh, Jerusalem of Judea, 
everything in the Bible is there for a reason. There is not a T crossed or an I dotted that the sovereign hand of God didn't put in there. Judea, well, what's that? Well, Judea is the Greek and Roman equivalent of Judah, that tribe, that land of area. Not only was it a person, it was a tribe, it was that land of area that um, God gave to Israel. Well, we need to look at this. We need this. Why does that say? Why does it say born in Bethlehem of Judea? So they're saying Judah. That's the way the Greek and Romans would interpret it. That was the equivalent. So what does that mean? Well, we have to go all the way back to Genesis to find out that answer. So go to Genesis 49. We're going to look at this. We got Abraham, we got Isaac, and we got Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. He's an old man. They are in Goshen, the land of Goshen. They're in Egypt right now. He's very old. In fact, he's so old, he's got to gather his strength just to sit up on the bed. And he gets up. And he says, gather, Holy Spirit comes upon him in his last time. He says, I'm not going to die with anything in me. I'm going to deposit it into the next generation. Don't die with anything in you if you're older. Deposit it. Pour into it. Empty yourself. Because he'll fill you when you get to him. He's going to give you a whole new filling, a whole new body, in fact. But you deposit yourself into the next generation. So he calls all his sons. He says, come on. The word of the Lord's in me. The spirit of the Lord's moving in me. So he calls all his sons together. Let's read in Genesis 49, 1. And Jacob called his sons and said, Gather together that I may tell you what shall befall you in the last days. To gather, gather together and hear you sons of Jacob and listen to Israel, your father. He's going to start with Reuben. He's going to go down everyone. He's going to prophetically speak through time and history. And we can look at world history, both biblical, which is the best history book, and secular history, and it's right on. Everything he said, because it was the mouth of the Lord. So let's go, what does he say about Judah? We need to know that, because we got Jesus born in Bethlehem of Judea. So here we go, verse 8. Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Judah means praise. It means they're going to lift you up. They're going to... Exalt you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. You're going to be big and strong, powerful. Your father's children shall bow down before you. You're going to be kind of the head of the tribe, the leader of, that, of, of the nation. Judah is a lion's whip, our young lion. From the prey, my son, you have grown up. Even though it didn't look like much, you've grown into the lion king. You're the big dog. He bows down. He lies down as a lion, as a lion who shall rouse him? Verse 10. Now look at this. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. That's the king's instrument, right? That's the instrument of authority and power. That scepter will not leave Judah until when? Until Shiloh, that literally is Messiah, are the one of peace. The one who comes in peace till Silo comes and to him shall be the obedience of the people. So for thousands of years, this old man, Crepity, is going to say, I'm going to tell you something. By the spirit of God, even if he whispered it, if it's the spirit of God, it's stronger and more powerful than a scream of the nations. If it's the word of God. Come on, that's right. He says, the scepter will not depart from you until Jesus comes, the Messiah, the one of peace. Now, I want to show you something. All right, we got some pictures here. Let's look at this. All right, so look at this first picture. 
This is when the children of Israel came into the promised land. There is that big Judah. See them right there? Big on the bottom. They were the southern part. We got all the different tribes. You got Gad and Reuben and Dan and Ephraim and Manasseh. They're spread out all over the place. This is what it looked like, the allotment and the land given to them by the Lord. This is all in the Bible, right? You can read all through this. Even Leviticus, if you're really feeling spiritual, just read it. There it is. Let's fast forward all the way to the divided kingdom. We've got to whoop, go forward hundreds and hundreds of years. Go to the next one. So here is King David's already come up. Solomon's already come up. Then the golden ages of, of Israel's going to fade and the kingdom's going to divide. Wait, where are all the tribes on the, where are they? Ammon, wait, that's not Gad. That's no, Phoenicia, Aram. Wait, where are all the tribes? Wait, there's one there. Who's still there? Judah's still there. There they are. Let's keep going. Through all history, let's go to the time of Jesus. Samaria, Galilee, Phoenicia, Syria, what? I, 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 wait, somebody's still there. Judea. That's the way you say Judah in Greek. I'm going to tell you about the word of God. When the word of God goes forth, it will sustain your life, your country, a people through rise and falls of kingdoms, sicknesses and deaths, children wayward and everything else. When the word of God goes forth, that's what sustains you. Come on now. You want to be sustained lifelong? Look at that through time and history and nations up and down and all over Judea is still there because the word of the Lord spoke in Genesis said, the scepter will not depart until the Messiah comes. Number one in your notes. Only the king's word can sustain you until the end. Come on, look at someone and say, sustain. Come on, he's going to sustain you. Through divorce, through difficulty, through physical sicknesses, through emotions up and down, through economic heartache and problems and issues. He is the sustaining God of the ages. Amen? He's going to sustain you. I love learning new things from the Word of God. It just fills me. I love to eat. I'm a God guy. I want to shoot things and eat things, and I love it. But there is nothing that satisfies and fills me, fuels me and fills me like the Word of God. There is nothing that I can put in my mouth that, the, that is better than the Word of God gets in me and starts moving in my spirit. And it just, it gets everything going. Physical food will fuel you, right? But oh, the Word of God, when it gets in you, it will do things, supernatural things. Come on, the King's Word sustains you. If He said you're free, you're free. If he said, by your stripes you're here, you proclaim your healing. If he said, those that confess, on, believe on me and confess on me will be saved, you do it. Amen? The king's words sustain. Is there any higher words than the king? Any greater authority than him? Oh, no. So I'm not going to speak contrary to the king. They sustain me. Oh, I love it. Greater than personality, ability, spiritual gifts, friends, or family. The king's word sustains us. Let's look how it did to the disciples in the New Testament. Acts 5. Well, they had a rough one. The Lord's moving. All these things are happening. God moved and people got mad. Look, that's normal. God moves and people get upset. 
Acts 5.17. Then the high priest arose up, and all those that were with him, which is a sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation because the word of God was preached, because the church was moving. And they laid their hands on the apostles and put them into the common prison. Well, we're going to stop this right now. But all but at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go stand in the temple. Wait, the one I just got kicked out of? Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people. All the words of this life are literally all the words of eternal life. The gospel, what I've told you to do, what you're supposed to do, you go and you speak it. Even though you're in prison, I'm going to get you out. You go and speak it. Listen to the way the word of God sustained these men, brought them to life. They're physically hurt. They're emotionally hurt. And I'm going to tell you, they, they felt rejection from their countrymen. They're so excited about what God has done. They're so excited about how Jesus, the forgiveness of sin, sins through faith and grace. And they come into the temple and they're excited, getting ready, and everyone shuts them down. That's rejection. You felt rejection in your life over excitement over the things of God, right? Not only did they reject them emotionally, reject them as countrymen, they threw them in prison. They physically hurt them. Verse 21, and when they heard that, when the word of God went out, when the angel said, go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. You go and you speak everything I've told you to do. You do it the way I told you to do it. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning. I like that one. Just early they got up excited. But the high priest and those with with him came and called the council together with all the elect, with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. <laughs> they weren't in the prison. They were already in the temple because the word of God had already sustained them, brought them out. And when they looked for him in the prison, they were already proclaiming the word of God. Come on, because not only does it sustain you, but it just carries you. It supernaturally moves you to exactly where God wants you to be. All right, let's go back to our text. Oh, the wise men. We're talking about the wise men. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king. You just make a bad face when you think about that one. In the days of Herod the king. Herod was an appointed, not elected. I mean, you like appointed officials when we don't get to elect them. No, nobody likes that. Oh, yeah. If they're godly, maybe. We want to elect them, right? We want to say in it. He was an appointed official by Caesar Augustus, and this was the salt in the wound. He was an Edomite. An Edomite over God's people. They called him Herod the Great, not because he was great, He's the one who built the temple for political gain and also to have leverage on all the, the, the religious leaders at the time. An Edomite. Oh, building God's house. Oh, what a horrible time to live. I ain't going to that church. Oh, my goodness. I'm not going there. You cra crazy? There's no God. Not only was it an Edomite who built the church, it was ungodly people mostly. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, running the dang thing. But God was in, Jesus went through the temple all the time. And to his temple where he was in, the smaller ones in Galilee where they got together and taught. 
And he commanded tithes and offerings to be brought to that place. Oh, my goodness. Oh, what a horrible time to live. In the days of Herod the king. I started looking at that. Because I didn't have a great week last week. It was just it was a long week. It wasn't great. Sunday wasn't great. And kids, and you know, I just kind of, you know, y'all, y'all with me? Is it, yeah, that's not super spiritual, but you know, y'all have those, right? Yeah. Even just little things bugged you. You know, you can't get your dog to go to the bathroom outside. They just want to do it on the carpet. Your wife just cleaned the carpet, and somehow that dog got in because the kids leave the door open and found the spot. You're like... I want to kill a small animal. He's still a puppy. He's a cute little dog. But when it poops on the carpet over and over, oh, in the days of Herod, oh. In the days of Herod, oh. The king, he was the one in charge. Earthly. You know, this temporal thing. Not big time. I was looking at this. And I started thinking, okay, ungodly people be ungodly people. Nations rise and fall all the time. Da, 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 da. What are God's people doing? What, what are God's people doing? Because we got, we got the ungodly people. Okay, I got you. We understand all this. and understand Rome's ruling the world. God had set that up. All roads lead to Rome so the gospel could be explode all over the world. He's in control. What are God's people doing at this particular time in history by the hand of God, being obedient to God, serving the Lord, what are God's people doing? We can always look around and I'm like, oh, oh, Herod the king. I can't even watch TV anymore. Gosh, it messed up football. I can't even watch football. That'll get you mad. It'll get you madder than the poop the dog did. I'm sorry, that was not in my sermon. I don't know where this came from. I'm off my notes, and y'all can tell when I go off my notes. It's... It's bad. I want to show you what God's people are doing. We need to see what God's people are doing because I'm God's people. You're God's people. That's why you're here. And you say, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm your people. I'm yours by the blood of the Lamb. What do you want me to do? Well, let's look at this. We're going to walk through all the major players in the narrative, in the Christmas narrative. Let's look at several of them. Matthew 1, 18 and 19. I'm just going to roll through these as an illustration. Matthew 1, 18 and 19. Let's look at this. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows, and his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together. She was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Young man in his prime, getting married, got his life planned out, got a small business loan. He's getting ready to do it all. He's going to take the world by storm. Oh, I'm excited. That's the season of life he was in, right? Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man... Oh, life just took a huge 180 because now she's pregnant, but they're not married. But it's of God. And everything he thought he was going to do, everything he thought life would be, just changed. But he was a just man. And not wanting to make a public spectacle of her, he minded to put her away secretly. But then he has the dream. He was a just man, a man of justice, a man of truth. That's what the people were God of doing, number one. Let's look at the next example. In Luke, we're going to look at several scriptures in Luke here. Let's look at this. Luke 1, 6. 
Oh, it's all right. Luke 1, 5. There we go. Okay, that's the young man. Let's look at an old man. An old man who's already lived his life. An old man who thinks, I thought life was going to be like this because I gave my life to the Lord, to the priesthood, and to him. And I thought it would be blessed and my family life would be blessed and all these things. No, no, no. I'm supposed to proclaim the faith of God and the goodness of God. I ain't even got no kids. My wife is old and everything I thought life would be didn't work out exactly like I thought. Then there were the days of Herod, the king of Judah, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in the commandments of God and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. This is what the people of God are doing. They're just, they're walking in the commandments of God, they're doing what God's called them to do. Let's look at another example. Verse 38, y'all know this one. Then the angel, after a long conversation between Gabriel, the angel, and Mary, said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Life's not what I thought it would be, but here I am, Lord. I'm going to do what you tell me to do. I'm going to serve you. I'm your maidservant. Let it be to me according to your word, and the angel of the Lord departed from her. Well, she's just busy about doing what God's called her to do. Joseph is, Zachariah is, Elizabeth is, Mary is. Well, that's Jesus is born. Let's look at another one. We went young, we went old. Wait, we went young, middle-aged, old, young. Now, let's go back to an older one. Now, Jesus is just a few days old. They come to the temple. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he has seen the Lord's Christ. Wow. Look at all these godly people, just the Lord's with them, seeking the Lord, serving the Lord, doing what he's called them to do. Okay, here's another one. Now, there was Anna, a prophetess, a daughter of Phineal. Of the tribe of Asher, she was of great age and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years old who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayer night and day. So I'm doing my study. That was a lot of examples, I know. But y'all had to see the, hey, these are the mover and shakers right here. Don't worry about old King Herod. Don't worry about Caesar Augustus. You can't even see Rome unless you go see the crumbles. You worry about the movers and shakers, the people of God, the people who have the spirit of God, the people who are serving the Lord night and day, the people who are just and devout, people who are saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. All right. So I'm sitting there and I'm looking at it in the days of Herod, of King Herod, in the days of King Herod, da, 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 in the days when I can't stack it. Talk about the doctrine of the Trinity like that, but I can't make this dog stop pooping on the floor. That's a sad. That's sad. Tell me about Trinity. Okay, here we go. But I cannot make that dog stop doing that. All these little things. There's always the days of Herod that you're going to live on this life and on this planet. And I'm sitting there, I'm looking at all this, and I'm listening, and I'm le- all these people come to mind, all these mover and shakers, all the people of God. I'm thinking about Joseph, I'm thinking about Mary, I'm thinking about Zechariah, I'm thinking about Elizabeth, I'm thinking about Simeon, I'm thinking about Anna, the pe- all the people in the Christmas narrative, right? Thinking about all the movers and shakers that are in the eternal word of God. 
thinking, oh, Lord, what do I need to do? The Holy Spirit just whispers. Just whispers. He says, serve the king. Serve the king. Serve him. Serve him with your talents and time and resources and life. Serve the king. He's worthy. It doesn't matter what Herod's doing. It doesn't matter how good or bad things is. Serve the king. And I got up and I said, I'm sorry, Lord. I was kind of complaining. I was having a little bit of, I was boudaying, right? But the spirit of the Lord whispered in me and lifted me up. Serve the king. All right, that's number two on your notes. <laughs> Serve the king. In the face of sinners and difficult times. You are all facing difficult times in some area of your life. There's something you don't like. There's something you're struggling with. Right? We are. That's the way life is. In this world, you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer. He's overcome the world. There will always be something pretty much every day that doesn't go right. Yeah, maybe if you can get through a day or two, who give me a call and just tell me about it. You're not going to make a week for sure. There's always something. And I look at the people of God. I look at the time he put them in the difficulty and everything they're dealing with. And the same spirit of God whispered, serve the king. Yes, sir. I got it. Yes, sir. We got it. Amen. Patience is continued peace in the absence of immediate results. I love that quote. All right, let's keep looking here. Come on, say, serve the king. That's what we're going to do. Oh, it's the greatest honor in my life to serve the king. To serve the king of glory in whatever time, position he puts me in. Whatever dirty diaper you may have to change. Whatever traffic issue you have to deal with, whatever bad work day you have to deal with, whatever bad attitude or bad marriage day or bad physical day, serve the king. And you'll see the glory and the power of God in your life, young or old. You may be a 16-year-old girl. She was probably 16, 18 years old, Mary. You may be an old 84-year-old woman. You may be an old man. Serve the king. And you're going to see the goodness of God in your life. Not only the goodness, the power of God. Amen? All right. Let's keep going here. In the days of Herod, the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Behold, what are a bunch of Asian Oriental people from the east, even farther east than there. We're already in the Middle East, way over there. Astrologers, um, scientists, philosophers, a lot of debate about what they are. What are they doing coming to Jerusalem? We've seen the sign. We've seen a, a heavenly uh, inter, intervention into humanity. Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem because they wanted revelation. There was nothing in their country that could fulfill or satisfy. There was no savior there. They knew. I'm not right the way I am. I've got to go where the Lord's pulling and pushing. Not everywhere is a savior. One place is a savior. Not every culture has a savior. 
Not every philosophy can save or set free. Only one. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can save a sinner. Nothing, nothing brings us to heaven except Jesus Christ. Amen. Nothing takes the wrath of God off of us except for Jesus Christ. Nothing, they said, We got all kind of stuff in this oriental place. There's trade routes going up and down for a thousand miles. Everyone wants what we've got, spices and everything else. But we have got an empty heart. We're going that way. We're pushing. We're going to strain. Now that is no fun journey either. These trade routes were very long. They ran up and down and all the way through. And anywhere there's trade routes and money, there's banditos. Mm Mm-hmm. That is a dangerous, arduous, I say that word right, task. That's no easy journey. Well, you better count the cost on that one. It's going to take a while. You're going to have to have some escorts. Most theologians assert that this was not just three men, but it was a larger group, escorts and all kind of other people. That's tough. Well, they had resilience. When they saw that and said, this is, this is the Lord. Something's going on here. I've got to, I'm pulled, I'm, I'm propelled, I'm pushed. They probably had some Old Testament prophecies for sure because there's over 300 about Jesus. They had some of those, and they knew. They knew where he was supposed to be born. They knew. We know that they, that they most probably knew because when they came to Jerusalem, they're expecting everyone in Jerusalem to, to know all about Jesus and be excited. Hey, nobody knows nothing. They don't give a care. They get to church. They expect everyone to be excited about Jesus. Everybody's just talking about the football game. I'm pro football, okay? I love football. But I love the king. I love to worship him. It's all about him. Amen? All right. So they get there. No one's, it's not a whisper. Herod has to go to all the religious leaders and say, hey, tell me where this, is Jesus supposed to be born? They say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We got all together. It's right there in Isaiah. He's supposed to be born in in Bethlehem. Oh. Their journey was very different than they thought. Very different. It just threw them when they got there. Now, God was with them. I think about them. I think about these non-Jewish people seeking and pushing for revelation. Seeking wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. You know what you need for revelation? Number three on your notes. You need diligence. We need diligence in our life. You want to seek the Lord? You want to know Him? You want revelation? Diligence. You're going to get an education? Diligence. You're going to start a business? You're going to be successful? Diligence. Diligence is so important. Let me show you a couple of scriptures here about diligence. First one is in Proverbs 13. 13, 4. The soul of the lazy, man's de- lazy man desires and has nothing I want you to think about this in the context of your relationship with Jesus. And the most important thing, Jesus is always uh, personified as riches, right? The riches of heaven, the pearl of great price, right? It's always personified as the lost coin. It's more important than, than riches. It's always personified as that. The soul of the lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the what? Diligent makes what? Rich. Is there anything richer than him? Is there anything greater than a king himself of eternity? Diligence is the path to revelation. I want to show you one more thing I never noticed here in 2 Corinthians about a pastor. 
His name was Titus. He did some missions work too before and some other things. Really just served Paul and the church for years before he was ever in charge of anything. 2 Corinthians 8, 16. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. God put a desire for people into the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted the exhortation, hey, I need you to go help these people do some work, but being more what? Diligent. Titus more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. We didn't even ask him to go now. He's just going after you guys. Diligence is the path to revelation. All right, let's go back to our text here. Verse 2, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Wise men from the east coming to proclaim a, great, a truth that all of Jerusalem should know. But they're coming in and proclaiming, where is he who's born eternally, who has the right, who has the authority, king of the Jews? Where is he? What I love about this statement. Makes me think of Christmas. You know what Christmas is? Number two, four in your notes. Ah, I messed that one up. I was trying to do a big crescendo. I missed the crescendo. I'm going to need the drummer. Number four. Christmas is firstly the proclamation of truth. That's okay. It's not point number five. I get a second chance. Come on, Lord. I get a second chance for the crescendo. Might get those hands warmed up. We're going to. I'm joking. But isn't it? Where is he born king of the, where is this one born king of the Jews? Think about Christmas. About everything we celebrate, it is firstly, it's the proclamation of truth. Absolute truth, absolutely. I love the holidays and everything with it. Even the secular songs are great and all those things. And Elf on the Shelf bugs the fire out of me, but that's okay. He does, he bugs me. I don't know why, I need to pray. But I'm just telling you that Christmas is firstly, it's okay if it's got some other things, you know, it's all right. Not, you know, they, it can be secular and not be wicked necessarily. Sanctifying truth is a great work on that topic. But Christmas is firstly the proclamation of where is he? I've got to have Jesus born king of the Jews. If I don't have that, I got nothing. Amen. All right. I'm going to tell you uh, something I didn't know about this. There are two Roman historians at the time. This is not a biblical text. This is totally secular history. Their names are Sintonius and Taxitus. Taxitus. Bear witness in history that there was a proclamation, common and loud, the prevalent understanding in the East. Where are the wise men from? the east, that out of Judah should arise a sovereign of the world. I didn't know this, and I'm a history guy. I didn't know you learn something new every day. These wise men get divinely warned, right, in a dream, don't go back to Herod. And they head to their own where? They're going back where? Their own country, another way. They head back to the east. They don't say anything. They just go about their regular lives. Really, you think that happened? 
You think they spend all their time and money and they get there and they see the king of glory wrapped a young child, most probably six to 18 months later. They see him and they're like, you think they go back home and don't say nothing? Come on now. You go on a great vacation and you don't say anything? Come on. You talk about it. You show the pictures. It's on Facebook forever. That's just vacation. Huh? You meet God in flesh. You start talking. Amen? So much that the Roman historians say there is a common statement in the East that a sovereign is going to be born in Judea. They were missionaries. They were proclaiming testimony. They lived a life that glorified God. I don't know who they are, but we'll talk to them in heaven. All right. Here we go. Verse 2. Chapter 2, verse 2. For we, who is this born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. We have seen his star in the east and we've come for a purpose. We're not doing life without purpose. Man can live with about anything except for purpose. The culture issue we're dealing with is a one of purposelessness. That's the issue. The issue we're dealing with is a perp- they just there's no purpose defined because the God of this world has blinded people. We have come with a purpose, with a destiny, with the highest calling of mankind. We've come to worship him. Worship team, you can come up on that note and get ready. If you don't miss a detail and you're a little OCD, yes, there's one more scripture. And I'm glad if you're paying attention and looking. Wait, wait, hold on. There's another scripture. Ooh. That's good. That's wonderful. You, you don't miss things. You study the word of God. You look at it. Let's stand up. I know I still got one more blank, but we got to read a Revelation to get that blank. Revelation 4, 9 through 11, but we have gone through like world history, haven't we? It's kind of what I do almost every week. We went from Genesis through so much time. Here we are in Acadia in our lives in 2018, whether you're 15 or 84. We looked at people at the very beginning of their lives, the very end, and in the middle. We're all somewhere. Now let's go to the end of all things, the end of time. Revelation 4, or as I should say time as we know it. Revelation 4, 9. Whenever the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fell down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying... What are they saying? You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Lastly, on your notes. Worship is the only action worthy of the king. There's only one action worthy of the king. And I love you.
bald Pastor Stephen loves you. But you're going to call yourself a Christian and follow him. Worship is the only action worthy. Amen? We are worshipers of the person of Jesus Christ. Worthy, they said, is the Lamb. Worthy. Our action. Our action should be worthy. Worship is the only action worthy of the King. Come on, we got a few minutes left. I'm going to come to the King. Because He whispers, serve me. Serve me like I served. I'll let Him whisper to you. It's greater than any meal, than any earthly word. I'll let Him whisper. Oh, just four words will pick you up off your feet. Serve the king. Come on, be diligent. The people of God have done it through every generation. You run with your baton in your generation. Come on, he's worthy. We're going to sing a beautiful Christmas song, but we're going to worship.
and right now in the name of Jesus. Let him fill you. Let him strengthen you. divine strength that comes from an encounter with God is what these wise men got. We thank you, Lord, for right now an encounter with the King in the name of Jesus. That strength, supernatural strength is coming into their body. It's coming into their mind. It's coming into the, the difficult decisions they have to make. You are giving them clear wisdom, clear direction for everything they're facing in life. And even the difficult things, boom, you're changing. Boom, you're making the mountains flat, the crooked paths straight. In the name of Jesus, the name above all names. The name above all names. Now one more time. Sing it to him. Worship him one more time before we leave today. Come on, worship him. Oh, worship that king. Oh, we thank you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We give you the glory and the honor. 
Oh, you still visit your people. Lord, you strengthen us. You encourage us. You encounter us. Oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and in our minds, Lord. Oh, we give you all the glory and honor. We submit ourselves anew and afresh. We humble ourselves anew and afresh. We fall on our knees anew and afresh, Lord, in every part of our heart, in every part of our mind, in every part of our time, talent, and resources. Lord, it's yours. It's yours. You're worthy, Lord. You're worthy to receive it all, God. Here we are. Use us. We'll serve the King. We'll serve the King. Whatever mundane thing it may look like, we are yours and we'll serve you with all our heart and all of our ability until we breathe our last. It is our proclamation. It is our decree. It is who you have made us to be. It is the center of your will. Oh, thank you, God. In the name above all names we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Now praise him one last time. Come on, Jesus. We serve the living God. Oh, his whispers are more powerful than a thousand nations screaming. I love it. God bless you. If you need prayer or anything, I'll be up here. Have a wonderful day.